You're listening to the voice of dog. And today's story is Kohelet by Madison Scott Clary, who is an author in the Pacific Northwest. She has several books out which are available at macio.inc/publications or from many fine retailers online. This comprises the first few scenes from her novel Kohelet, which is being released serially as a podcast on anchor.fm/postself. Please enjoy Kohelet by Madison Scott Clary, an excerpt read by the author herself. The theater purred. It hummed to itself. It stretched and reclined. It relaxed, unwound. RJ and the room let out a slow, long-held breath together, feeling muscles and wires relax, nerves and current disentangle themselves slowly. Slowly. All right, everyone. It's midnight. Time to start packing up. Johansson was saying from down in the first row. Ross, we're short one. Can you start pulling together all of the mics? RJ will help get you sorted. Hmm. RJ offered through the sound system. May was busy putting the theater to bed and couldn't spare more than a few meager syllables to the rest of the cast and crew. Get a headset, Ross, so I don't have to talk through the speakers. Those speakers were signing off, going to bed one by one through RJ's gentle ministrations. The physical backup board set about the task of returning to neutral as RJ worked, all of the gain knobs orienting themselves, then all of the monitor knobs, the sliders, the whole system ticking through automated checklists as it cooled down, all minus the channel they'd need to keep open to Ross. Hey, boss, got a headset. Where do you want me to start? Grab the leads first, RJ murmured. Then Sarah and Catherine. They've got the nice mics. All of them should have a tiny number painted on the costume side that matches up with their box. The boxes are stacked in the pit by the front wall. You should be able to get them out in one load, though be careful taking them back. Got it. Heading down to the pit now. RJ left the channel open just in case. The soft sounds of breathing and the occasional curse as Ross bumped his head on the pit cover were distracting while they set about going through our notes with the dozy theater. Best be available, though. The next night's rehearsal was the last one before they went live. A knew the show better than most of the cast, M and the theater. The two had to learn everyone's lines, plus a few cues beside when they'd have to take care not to pick up any of the sound effects, gunshots, chairs scraping... A scuffle, the clap of heels on the matte black of the stage itself. The theater's job was simply to work with RJ and the lighting crew, responding to their knowledge of what was going on with the play while RJ and Caitlin's job, as sound and lights respectively, was to respond to the stage manager's encyclopedic knowledge of the play, her view of the house. All sound was under RJ's jurisdiction. Cast and crew both, they spent as much time managing communication between the hands, the manager, himself, and Caitlin, as they did maintaining the sound from the performers. Private jokes kept on the down low. They had to be ghosts in this, even the theater. Their jobs were ones that should be invisible to the audience because it would only become visible if they fucked up. No one wanted to fuck up. Even the theater seemed to feel a sense of pride in doing its job and doing it well. RJ soothed the room with gentle cooing and reluctantly started the process of pulling back. He closed the channel with Ross and put all of the headsets to bed last of all, before he slipped back from the interface, felt for that cool breeze of reality on the back of her neck, or whatever passed for a neck so immersed, 
and backed out, blinked as I adjusted to seeing the cavernous hall with her own eyes, lifted her fingers from the contact points and leaned back from the headrest. A shook her head to clear it and stood, stretching before ambling from the tech booth down the stairs toward the stage, letting gravity carry her lanky form down two steps at a time, breeze against her face, the treble note of dust and conditioned air only added to the newborn feeling of pulling back. Ross was in the front row, standing still and staring at the floor, muttering agitated questions into the headset. Hey, Ross, I'm here. The house is sleeping now. Ross jumped, then looked embarrassed as he tugged the headset off his head. Sorry, was wondering where you'd gone. I just heard a beep. Yep, signing off from above. Did you get all the mics gathered up? Oh, yeah, that's what I was trying to tell you. I wasn't sure what to do next. It took only a few minutes for RJ and Ross to get the last of the sound gear settled. Headsets from all the hands socketed into numbered chargers on the wall. Everything would sleep tight until the next night on sound's end. Caitlin and Sarai, the stage manager, joined them with the rest of the crew. They sat on the edge of the pit cover, unwinding from the tenseness of rehearsal. The actors were slow to get out of their half-costume and clumped together on the stage. "'Gather round, children,' a voice boomed out from the darkened audience. "'Yes, Mr. Johansson,' one of the actors sing-songed back. Tired laughter. "'Good job. I think we're there. Still, a bit more polish never hurts. No flubbed lines and mostly relaxed, but Sarah, you gotta loosen up. It's not Shakespeare. You can chill out. "'Crew, you guys got a little sluggish toward the end. I know it's late, but so are our shows. Don't work yourselves too hard, but keep on top of things, okay?' RJ, Sarai, and Caitlin murmured their assent. Tomorrow night, back here at four. Early, RJ murmured. How come? Johansson grinned. There's a school production that winds up around then, and I want you all back here to make sure we still have a theater. There was a bit more grumbling, but RJ knew they'd be there on time. It wasn't too much of a stretch. Those with second jobs would make it work. Back to base, then. Get some rest tonight, and I'll catch you tomorrow. Remember, you can drink tonight, but tomorrow das ist streng verboten. The troop laughed and started to disperse, the tech leads lingering on the pit cover for a while longer as they reoriented themselves to the real world, a world bound by spatial constraints, limited by two eyes, two ears, two hands. Eventually, RJ made her way out into the chill of the street, pulling on her thin, waterproof gloves to keep the contacts on the middle joints of her fingers clean and dry. Midnight on a weekday and not much was going on. People visiting the pubs to catch up with their friends after work. Black cabs, night buses. The idea of a warm pub and a quick pint before heading home tugged at him, but the pull of home was much stronger than that of beer. There would be a pub of a different sort waiting for him. A trudged up to Oxford Circus, central line up to Benthel Green, walked a few blocks from there to her flat stopped to pick up a takeaway carton of curry and rice from one of the more trustworthy shops along the way. Once home, A slipped out of her jacket and welcomed the warmth of her little flat after the damp chill of London outside. Her cat trotted up to him, twining around her ankles, a little ginger thing of a few years that A'd rescued from a friend who was moving deeper into the city. She was the only one to share her space with him after her last flatmate had left for somewhere cheaper. Hey, Prissa, let me put my shit down before I get you food. A meow, indignant, followed him to the kitchen. A set her takeaway on the counter and scooped a cup of dry food into a fresh dish, setting it on the tile for the delicate cat. Indignant meows replaced by purring and crunching. 
and he thumbed her phone to start music playing, some of the stuff that reminded him of her dad to go along with the curry that reminded him of her mom. Quiet, but present. Dinner was no more or less exciting than usual. RJ ate alone at the kitchen table with the carton spread out before him, bearing orange curry and the soggy samosa that had come with it. They left her gloves on just to be sure, no sense in having to clean air contacts more than they'd already need after a long rehearsal. A finished scooping the last of the curry into a plastic container for the next day's lunch, promising himself he'd cook an additional pot of rice before heading out in the afternoon so he'd have more calories to keep himself running. Clean up as easy as tossing the container into the compost bin, along with all the others. Cooking much more than rice was for times other than crunch. The rig in the corner of her bedroom was exerting subtle gravities on RJ. As they ran through the motions of the post-recital evening, eating, cleaning, storing leftovers, using the toilet, her orbits grew smaller and smaller. Her gloves were itching. He could feel phantom breezes brushing past phantom fur. Phantom fur. Phantom ears, phantom tail. Phantom realities teased around the edges of her perception. He finally allowed himself to sit down at her rig, relaxing into the familiar curves of the chair. Even with the draw so close to him, he took her time. He picked up Prissa and stroked her smoothly from ears to tail a few times until she started purring up a storm, informing her that, in fact, she was the prettiest kitty. Peel off your gloves one finger at a time, he thought. Relish the anticipation. Get caught up in it. Hell, let it linger. Cat settled into her lap and curled into a small crescent. They set about cleaning the contacts on her hands with lint-free paper and rubbing alcohol. Those done, they wiped down the headrest, removing the negligible residue of sweat and skin oils that had collected there, clean enough as is. They had recently replaced the soft, padded headrest where her forehead would lay. Their gear at home was more elaborate than the stuff in the tech booth at work they shared with Sarai and Caitlin. They had drained her savings to acquire it. The rig, as well as the contacts on her fingers, the interferites, nanoscale implants that took over her optic and auditory nerves, and the electroparalytics to keep him from acting out in reality what took place online. The NFC connections implanted just under her hairline and their ramifying tendrils. All that painful work down her spine that helped him more fully experience the connection. All worth it. Connections and gear cleaned, RJ finally felt complete enough to pop open the lid on her rig. The screen, all but vestigial while it was inside, still served its role during boot and login. A quickly keyed in her passphrase, then rested her right hand on the curved pad, fingers sliding into familiar grooves that held her hand in place. The connection from air contacts, the other half of air two factors of authentication. Gonna head in, Prissa, a murmured to her cat, stroking over her ears, fingering the soft velveteen folds until the cat shook her head away. Purrs, nonetheless, ratcheted up a notch. I'll be back in a bit. A set her left hand into its cradle, tilting her head against the headrest, feeling the comforting touch of cool microfiber and the little twinge of recognition from the NFC controllers. A nudged the button beneath their thumb. The rig went immersive. As RJ delved in, the soft hum of a cooling fan picked up to handle the waste heat of countless computations. They could no longer hear it. Ade sat up in bed and slid to the edge of the mattress, stretched languidly, let fur bristle from ear to tail, the latter bottle brushing out. 
A shook himself to settle her fur back down, then yawned widely, slender pink tongue curling just shy of sharp incisors. All formalities, to be sure, or perhaps wordless mnemonics to finish the context shift, the final step in a ritual. All those phantom realities clicking into place. Brushing her fur back down, the fennec stood and padded to the dresser in the corner of the room, pulling out a thin white cotton shirt with laces up the front and a simple navy sarong, which they tied around her waist. Countless hours examining some of the highest fashions out there on the net, and he'd come to the conclusion that, in these times of excess, the understated said the most. It also interfered with the fur the least, worked well with the tail, a simple slit cut down the length of the sarong let that slip free, and it was cheap. There was no shortage of ways to spend money, and Ade had better things to buy with what was left after London rent. Better to perfect the form, to make it fit more precisely our self-image, a handful of silver paltry exchange for building the you you are meant to be rather than the you you are. He swiped her paw from left to right atop the dresser, revealing a dimly glowing arsenal of personal belongings. It'd be a simple night out, so he tucked a few V-cards and a limited credit chip into a shoulder bag and hauled the strap over her head, vulpine ears laying flat and out of the way. From there, claws clacked against the glossy surface of the teaport pad. Gauche as it was to pop in and out of existence where folks could see, he kept airs in the corner of her studio apartment rather than an alcove. The feeling of exposure and the jarring change of scenery was titillating. Racy. He stood on the pad and gestured a paw from left to right, bringing up a list of recently used commands. Had he left fingerprints online, there'd be a clear smudge over the entry. He rarely did anything else on work nights. Teaport, the Crown Pub. Tapped, and the obligatory click that went along with the change of scenery brought him to an alcove paneled in oak, lit by green glass-shaded lights hanging pendulous from a cord above him. He blinked to adjust to the comparatively dim light. The pub sim, largely following the circadian rhythm of the British Isles, was just as dark as it was for RJ back in London as it was, but her personal sim lived in a perpetual 11 a.m. springtime. He turned and stepped away from the pad, narrowly avoiding a slender weasel stumbling toward the alcove. See ya, Debar, Ade said, though it came out more like Shia Debar, coming from the fox's narrow muzzle. They got a curt grunt from the weasel done up all in black. The fox shrugged and headed into the pub proper, nose twitching. The sense of the room told him more of those present than simply scanning the crowd. One or two gawking entities with no scent property set, tourists, and the usual crowd of aromas, friends mostly, acquaintances all. Whiskers bristled at the distinct whiff of dandelions, a memory left over from youth, and they made a beeline over towards one of the window tables where the scent originated, skirting around bodies of diverse shape. Shancha. Come on, Fox, loosen your filters, won't you? Sasha laughed, scooting her chair back to stand up and lean in for a quick hug. Ade slipped her arms around the skunk's waist in turn and gave a squeeze, tail a swish. Lame, a drawled, but dialed back the output filters on her speech, letting something more closely resembling English pass. How you been, skunk? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Sasha settled back into her chair and fiddled with a stack of V-cards on the table, giving an outsized shrug. Been kind of boring in here over the last few days, so it's good to see you. The fox nodded, tugging her shirt straight and moving over to the chair opposite the skunk, sliding into it easily and resting against the back. It's late there, isn't it? 
Not too late. Uh, one something. Made good time home, at least. Rehearsal just ran late. Sasha grinned. You know, every time you talk about rehearsal and such, I just think back to school. You hunched over a sound booth, you know? It's hard for me to picture you as having grown up and taken that as a job. Ade adopted a look of mock despair. Isn't it? I went to uni for it and everything. But hey, London ain't bad. I can't complain any. Besides, not like you left it either. The skunk rolled her eyes and leaned forward onto her elbows, muzzle resting on obsidian paws. Tell me about it. You're missing out big time here in the burbs, dear. You could be teaching high school theater in any town along the central corridor, doing the same plays once every five years so no students repeat them. Truly a life of glamour. Sasha laughed when Ade buried her face in her paws and groaned. Seriously, though, you just remind me a lot of school. Maybe it's because all the ways you haven't grown up. Please, Sasha, Ade poked her tongue out. If you bring up dating... Hey, sorry, just looking out for you, Fox. I'm plenty happy on my own, I can promise that, he countered. No, I get that. Sasha lowered her gaze. Not all it's turned out to be. Just got me thinking, is all. Oh, no. Struck out again? Sasha shrugged. Nodded, shrugged once more, fiddled with a V-card. No eye contact. Ade reached out to take one of her paws in her own, black fur on tan, mismatched and complimentary. Both had opted for mostly hand-like paws, but the differences were evident on contact, where Sasha's fur was an even, silky black marked by white stripes that were a little too sharp, a little too exact. Ade had labored to construct a version of himself as a fennec fox to exacting detail, down to the point where her muzzle couldn't even form the two letters that made up her name offline. Exacting, minus perhaps the two-leggedness, the hands, the humanity around the eyes. Even then, they had an ab free of humanity stashed away somewhere. Thoughts of honing versus forging blurred surroundings. Ade had honed himself into a finer and finer point while everyone else forged ahead. Always a way to be a better tech. Always a chance to become more vulpine online. Always a way to become better at what one already was. To become more the Ade, Ade felt he was. Still running sound, still honing that skill. He shook her head to dislodge the rumination. I'm sorry, Sasha. Sasha shrugged again, as though she might be able to drop the very idea of bad breakups like an overloaded backpack. She gave the fox's paw, squeezing her own. Men are dicks. I'd take a fox like you over some dickhead guy any day. Ade smiled faintly, returned the squeeze. Sasha, you know it wouldn't. No, I know. I just wish there were more guys out there like you. When Ade stiffened in her seat and looked away towards the window, Sasha splayed her ears and added quickly, Sorry, dear. I keep putting my foot in it, don't I? Sorry. No, you're fine, Ade grinned apologetically. I should get a thicker skin, maybe. Stand up for myself. I spend night after night hiding in here, and even then can't seem to assert myself any. I appreciate you trying, though. Sasha smiled cautiously and nodded. You came out like fifteen years ago, Ade. I should still be doing better. Ade's turned to shrug. It's hard to ask for that is all. Always has been. I think that's what I meant earlier, that you haven't changed despite all the ways you have. You haven't done like all the rest and grown up, gotten married, all that crap. 
You're still doing what you love to do in school. Don't get me wrong, I miss it too. Actual theater, not the school stuff. Seeing crazy shows with you on the weekends. Hell, doing crazy shows in uni doesn't pay the bills, though. You should come see us sometime. It'd be good to see you again, too. You know I want to, Sasha grinned. It didn't last. But yeah, you seem kind of frozen, kind of stuck, in a few ways even, though you're succeeding in others. Ade nodded, rumination hanging in a cloud around him. So many ways the world had moved on without him. After a moment, though, I sat up straighter. Oh, speaking of frozen, Debar? The fox nodded. No news yet. He's been trying to get in touch with the clinic or whatever that's taking care of Cicero, but the family's been getting in the way. They're fielding everything. They always sort of supported the relationship, on the surface, you know, but never actually approved of it. Of them being together, I mean. What? Really? The fox shook her head, poking a claw at the table before rubbing the spot with a paw pad. The sim was hardly immersive enough to waste cycles on letting claw dent tabletop. That's unfortunate. Not all that surprising, I guess, given what Sis said about them. They at least confirmed that's what happened, though? That's what these are, Sasha said, slipping the stack of V-cards over to him. There's contact info for the family, a few centers around there that work on implants, some hospitals. We're thinking that those might be the types of places where he wound up. There's also a card detailing his last on information. Ade twisted the stack of cards around in front of them, leafing through slowly and taking in a few of the details that slid across her fingertips. Mind if I make a copy? Go ahead. It's a deck Debar and I have been working on. Not complete, but I'll give you ACLs. Hmm. Debar looked crushed. Is he doing all right? Sasha hesitated for a moment, caught in the middle of a gesture to grant copy rights on the cards. She shook her head, to which Ade could only frown. She finished the gesture, and another set of V cards shuffled itself out from the original stack, crisp black embossed on the creamy cotton paper that Ade preferred. I'll take a look, too. I can't do too much right now. I've got a... I know, you've got a show coming up, Sasha laughed. Don't worry about it, dear. Debar's working on it. I'm taking a look while I can, and I'm sure the weasel's got other friends helping him out besides us. No reason not to, either. We all liked Cicero. The two sat in silence. Ade slid Sasha's back and fanned airs out in front of himself before shuffling them back into a stack and swiping above them, instructing a rig to make a local copy of the deck. It lifted her snout away from the silence to scan the scents in the room once more, now that it was starting to get on in the evening, even in the Americas, the scentscape was changing. Some familiar scents, some unfamiliar, but most of them at least detailed, which told Ade the owners had put some thought into them. None, however, really jumped out at them. More rumination. Rumination edging into drowsiness. Hey, Sasha, I gotta get going. I know I just got here, but I'm starting to crash hard. The skunk nodded, tail drooping. No, it's all right, it's been late there, and I know you've been in rehearsals for a while. Go get some sleep. Both stood and exchanged another hug, Ade reveling in the dandelion scent of her friend, memories of school, drowsy, dreamlike. Dandelions on the lawn, an impromptu picnic, rubbing one of the flowers on the back of her hand, leaving a yellow stain. Sasha explaining that the smell always reminded her of muffins. I'll see you later, skunk, yeah? Take care of yourself, okay? No working too hard, slaving over a hot rig. Ade laughed and shook her head. 
gave the skunk one last squeeze before making her way through the crowd toward the alcove, already swiping her command pallet into view to head home. RJ slid her hands from the cradles and leaned back from the headrest, letting out a full-fledged yawn pent up from the interferites preventing it. The sound and motion startled Priscilla from across the room. A levered himself out of her seat and trudged over to the still-purring cat, stroking over her ears when she bunted her head up against her hand. Her mind foundered in a slurry of work, of Cicero's disappearance, of school with Sasha, of honing and forging. I'm wiped, Prissa, he informed the cat. She purred louder. Smiling, A peeled her shirt off over her head and slipped out of her jeans. Tomorrow's rehearsal would mean full dress for everyone and makeup for the actors. A'd have to make sure her tux was clean. Should I iron it? Maybe I should iron it. Later. For now, as it neared two, A focused on making sure the door was locked and the lights were out before stumbling over to bed. A flipped the screen down on her rig descended to sleep. There seemed to be no shaking Sasha in all her talk of high school, gone now this last decade out of her head. Even as they climbed into her narrow mattress and burrowed beneath the covers against the chill of the night, it was replaying memories from school, scenes from the Americas, a worn-out film, dim and scattershot. Honing and forging, honing and forging. And Sasha had tried dating early on. After a few weeks of it not going anywhere, they had both admitted that they had felt pressured into having a relationship rather than actually wanting one. Good boys and girls fell in love with other good boys and girls, right? Went out to the movies, kissed beneath the bleachers, or something, pretended they didn't have sex. The relationship petered out rather than ending in some climactic fashion. They had continued the trend of going to movies and later live performances. They had never lost touch. Sasha had gone on to have a string of other relationships, some earnest and some not, some more intense than others, a string that remained unbroken if tonight's conversation was any clue. But RJ had stopped there. The intensity of the social pressure to date throughout high school was equaled only by RJ's complete apathy toward the whole scene. Apathy, or often, antipathy. Eight felt the occasional twinge of romantic attraction, perhaps, but the expectation of sex that went along with the process so put him off that A had buried himself instead in work. A did well in some courses and not in others, as any kid might, but in the subjects A enjoyed, A dumped all of her effort huge gusts of energy that drove him forward. A had started early on in working the school's old soundboard in the theater. A ran plays, A ran concerts, A ran assemblies and lectures and conferences, quickly earning the trust of the other tech crew as well as the staff. And then A gained leadership, prestige. The various computer classes had captivated him as well, and for her 16th birthday, her parents had surprised him with the implants needed for full interfacing with a rig, or, well, Surprised, her father was an engineer and her mother a fairly forward-thinking person, and they had promised him the procedure before university. Honing and forging. Honing and forging. It was a straightforward procedure in an outpatient office, self-guided implants largely installing themselves. The worst had been the itching. It was bearable on her hands and along her spine where the implants and exocortex had breached the surface of her skin, because at least they could scratch, though they had been cautioned not to. The NFC tags in her forehead and the interferites embedded deeper, far, far deeper, led to an itch that no scratching could ever reach. From there, sound and the rig had taken up all of her energy. 
leaving little time to worry about the social stigma that went along with an aversion to romance. It was simply the nerdy sound kid who knew more about computers than the teachers. It hadn't always been fun, of course, but by then I had quickly learned that the more I put into the task, the more I got out of it. The more I honed, the further I went. That I had found furry in high school seemed almost a natural progression. Working and improving at the art of interfacing in a way that felt natural to him, it seemed, came just as natural to others on the net. It moved effortlessly through the Crown Pub and a few other choice spaces, slowly crafting the primary persona that I used when interacting with others. A fennec, Ade, a corruption of her chosen name, a corruption born of the intricacies of a thoroughly vulpine muzzle, a persona honed to a fine point. It was then that A and Sasha had really started connecting, for it was her that introduced him to the community. They started hanging out more, talking more, building a network of friends together. Where dating hadn't worked, friendship grew in both depth and breadth. Honing and forging, honing and forging, the forging of the virtual theater environment had culminated in a scholarship at a big-name university out on the East Coast. Immersive Interactive Theater Technology, they called it, forging into honing. It meant leaving Sasha and a few other close friends behind, along with their family, but it also meant that I would be at the forefront of a new tech, something used in production, films, and live work both. The field had been so new that her own studies at university helped fuel the change in theater tech work. Her dissertation, what was meant to be a simple capstone project, was published and distributed, and theaters around the world were suddenly using immersive tech. A had continued to work at the university for a while. It was one of the few places around with both the theater and the hardware to back it up. A had considered continuing in her studies, but the draw of the theater was too heady, too alluring. Academia spelled a life of forging. Work, one of honing. Why deny one's base nature? Honing and forging. Honing and forging. The call from London came less than a year after I graduated. Would I like to help start a tech-savvy theater group in town? The pay would be slow to start, but the troupe had a loose collection of apartments in the East End. It would have full run of the sound apartment. Yes? When could I start? Their parents had needed convincing. They were pleased, to be sure, but London, so far away. Still in the Western Federation, but so far... A made her promises that I would come home to visit every year and packed her bags. Burying himself deeper into the covers and the mattress, leaving enough room for Priscilla to join him later, RJ's thoughts alighted finally on Cicero, on the lost. Losing Cicero had been a shock. A disappearance at first, last seen two days ago. Three. And then it went on. Debar hollering one night after getting in touch with Sis's family. Lost, lost, he was lost. And getting lost was rare, vanishingly so, with perhaps a hundred cases at the time. Still, among those who were counted among the lost, all were heavy interfacers. It was a risk, everyone had assumed, just as was travel. Call it occupational hazard. Something could always happen. Something could always go wrong. To lose someone so close, though, that hit hard. It was a sharp reminder of just how much they relied on the integration tech, not only for work, but for the lion's share of her social life. They enjoyed the company of the troop just fine. Troop pub trips were a weekly affair. But her heart lay among her friends on the net. Her friends being on the net meant more interfacing, and more interfacing meant, it seemed, more risk. Perhaps more for him than any of her friends. Air tech was truly immersive, after all. It was a dissolution of the body disembodied in the truest sense. 
It was becoming the room. It was a new sensory experience. No limbs, no torso, no face or eyes or ears, or maybe all ears. It became the room, feeling the way the sound echoed or didn't, knowing the limits of the speakers in a deeply physical way. Mics peppering the walls a new sensory input, the wires nerves, the speakers muscles to flex, instincts, reactions, and actions responding to whole systems of stimuli. Perhaps that was why I felt so at risk. They all were, of course, but to dissolve one's concept of a body at work, and then come home and warp the very same concept into that of a fox, no, a finely wrought amalgam of fox and self, felt perilously close to being lost sometimes. Honing and forging. Honing and forging. Risk and reward. A slept. This was Kohelet by Madison Scott Clary, an excerpt read for you by the author herself. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.